As I prepared for this message, I was just thinking about what was going on in the world and, and what's happening around us. And when this whole thing started, when COVID hit, I don't know, like you, it was, what, early mid-March? And there was a lot of different things going on in the world, and we didn't quite know what was hitting us. And suddenly, coronavirus hit, and the whole world closed, didn't it? Every business, all of our workplaces, public transit, parks, schools, even the church building, we had to close down. And then the results of sheltering in place started to rear its head over time with that. And we spiraled into a recession, and businesses were struggling, and people were struggling, and the government was trying to figure out how to respond to it. How do we keep the world from shutting down? How do we keep from a great recession that's going to last another decade? And that became the story, and coronavirus kind of hit the back burner. And then on May 25th, something happened that turned the whole narrative again and turned the world upside down. George Floyd died. And there's no sugarcoating it or looking past it. At a time when tensions were high and people were strained and things were hard, this happened. George Floyd was senselessly murdered in the street by white police officers. And the whole world blew up over the tragedy. It sent a splinter through our already thinly held together nation as people were had their backs to the wall. And every street in America, every major street, a backlash came. Protests of people wanting to be heard, fighting back to the injustice. And this backlash has forced everybody from the media to sports teams, to retail stores, to take a stand on the issue, to take a side, to speak up on this thing. And yet in some ways, people look to those people that talk and they're like, it's like a gun ready to explode. It's just so much built up emotion and built up rage over this thing. Anyone that talks can get a backlash so quick. Our local football coach, I'm not saying his opinions were right or wrong, but he was trying to talk about football and just answered a question about how this thing has impacted him. And being a a white guy in his mid-60s, it hasn't impacted him a ton, and so he shared that. And he was skewered and had article after article and had to answer to how this thing, because it didn't meet the experience of others. And it strikes me, our world, our nation is splintering even more. It already seemed splintered a month ago, but it was one more division in a long line of things. And here we are as Christians trying to pick up the pieces How do we respond to this? How do we interact with people hurting? How can we open our mouths and not feel like we have a backlash coming like our football coach did? We can be afraid of those things. And how do we navigate these times with COVID and racial tensions and economic issues and differences in how we respond to those things? How can we react to that and still have a united church and still be together. Let's pray. 
God, we did sing this morning that we need you every hour. And that's true, God. We need you every hour of our lives. And yet this hour in 2020, in June, oh Lord, we need you. God, we ask for your grace this morning. We ask for your grace to figure out how to respond, how to love people, how to love you, how to stay in faith in the midst of these times. I ask for your grace that just your word would come through. There's so much tension built up. I'm sure I'm going to say something that's going to offend someone. But I just pray your word would come through. You'd diminish my opinion. Help us learn from your word. Help us learn how you would have us respond. And help us stand before you this morning. I pray you'd unite our church. In Jesus' name, amen. So how do we respond to this? I think we're quick to point to a verse like this. As a mostly white church, with a few exceptions, but mostly, we point at a verse like this and say, Galatians 3.28, it says there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. Amen? I believe wholeheartedly in that verse. As we stand before Christ, As we stand on judgment day, as we stand today, we're not judged by the color of our skin, by what country we're from, by our gender, by our economic status. We're judged before Jesus Christ is one, and we're all one in the family of God. And so as it relates to God offering out forgiveness of sins, there's neither Jewish nor Gentile, nor Scottish, nor African, nor Japanese That's absolutely true. However, what this verse doesn't say is as a Christian in 2020, you can close your eyes to the racial issues and pretend that they don't exist. We can take a lazy position to say, there's not a problem. In the church, there's not a problem because my Bible says there is Junior Greek, there is white nor black. In the church, we're all one. And it's true, but it doesn't excuse us from addressing what's going on in the world and the hurts that are happening. There are real hurts in history, in this country, and some of our people, our brothers and sisters, that have had a drumbeat for 400 years in this country that a black life is second rate. It's not as important. It's someone you can harvest from another country and bring over to work under slavery. And so we don't have the ability to rest on lazy rhetoric. I think it would be kind of like talking to a teenager that came out of abuse. Came out of a home with a single parent that was abusing them. And just boiling it down and saying, well, every child faces issues with their parents every child clashes against them every child has an identity crisis a majority of children face divorce you're nothing unique in that situation while all of those statements would be true 
we would be diminishing a deeper reality that they experienced abuse in their home and have something going on, that they need special attention and care and help to have faith in God. They need guidance. They have real pain and hurt. Does it downplay that a kid can come from a household with two parents where they both loved them and they didn't face those issues? No. But you have to look at a kid in that household and acknowledge the real pain and hurts they have and the things that keep them from coming to faith and the things that are challenges in their life. And in that same way, these racial issues are similar to that. While a lot of people experience challenges, there's something unique there. There's a story, there's a pain that we can't ignore. And I will admit, a lot of us in this circle have been separate in this issue. I grew up in in Colorado, in Boulder, and it wasn't a very diverse area. I'll be perfectly honest. My only African-American friend was part of the staff at the school when I was in high school. We were on a first-name basis and talked regularly. But I didn't experience this stuff. I was sheltered from it. We learned about it in school. We talked about it. But it sounded more like a problem that was solved decades ago than something that was going on that was real today. And so it's easy to be insensitive to it. It's easy to think it doesn't exist. But it doesn't downplay that there's people experiencing real abuse, hurt, racism, slurs, violence today in America in 2020. Slavery was real. Needing to sit at the back of the bus was real. Having to come in the back entrance was real. Having separate restrooms was real. The wage gap is real today. Different experiences and perceptions and treatment is real today. And so as we look at this, how would God respond to that person today? How should we look at God's word and his response to a person hurting that has very real hurts? You know, I think one of the things is that every black life does matter. I'm not signing up on a movement. But what I'm saying is that in the eyes of God, a black life matters. And there's some truths that God's word would have to a hurting community or a hurting person. You know, Psalm 139.13, it says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And there's a lot of things we could take for that. It's profound that God created each of us. But God formed each black person together. He chose their mother and father. He chose the color of their skin. He chose how tall they would get. He chose their gender. I didn't get to choose any of those things. Neither does anyone else. But God chose it. God created them. God created the African races and God loves them. Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. God created each black person in the image of God. You know, as we look at 
artistry of the Bible, especially in America, there can be a lot of views and artistry that's a very white depiction of Jesus. It's kind of funny. If you look at artwork, and the context was he was Jewish, he may not have looked like a normal white person in America like much of the artistry does. But God created each race. God spread the people out at the Tower of Babel and confused the languages and caused races. And they're each in the image of God. And God created the African in the image of God. They bear his image and their unique aspects of God that show up in that community and that people that bear God's image in a very real way that I cannot as a white male. God manifests himself in every people group and in this context today in the the African people group. Now this isn't lazy rhetoric, this is just acknowledging that there's a community of people for 400 years that's been told in this country, you're second rate. But in God's eyes, you're valued. You're first rate in his eyes. And I believe Jesus would look into the eyes of every black young person and say, your life matters. I created you in my image. Drown out all the noise. I love you. You matter. Your life matters. Your eternal destiny matters. I died for you. And as a Christian here, our job's not to interpret and to judge the pain and suffering of people. Really, my acknowledgement of that doesn't diminish or add to what they're going through and doesn't bring a lot of value other than seeing what God's word says about them. I look at Psalm 9. It says, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. God offers refuge to the oppressed. God has seen the injustice. He's aware of the hurts. And God is a stronghold in times of trouble. And I believe God wants all people to know this. And as we interact with those hurting people, particularly in these racial issues going on right now, God wants them to know this, that he can, they can take refuge in him. So just a few takeaways today as we might interact with people or be people that are hurting over some of these issues. One is just to be sympathetic. We bump into people that need help and compassion all the time. But in this age, in this era, it's even more true. James 1.19 says, But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. What an encouragement in this time. Be quick to hear and quick to listen. Quick to offer an ear to someone that's hurting over these issues today as you interact with them. And don't try to downplay. Don't try to put our lens on what they're feeling. If I'm doing that today, I apologize. I just want to highlight some of the things going on. 
Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. As we interact with people, understand there's a wisdom in trying to understand and listen and hear what people are going through and offer sympathy and compassion. But it's hard, isn't it? I don't think the people around us hurting need us to come spew words out and spew wisdom and and put a lens or filter on it for them. What they need is a listening ear. They need to be heard and cared for. And don't try to downplay the issues. It's a temptation. Black people are facing real issues today, real challenges and struggles in 2020. Like I said, they face slurs. They face wage gap. They face oppression. They get passed over for promotions. The statistics are there. I'm not going to show them all on the screen. It's real. You can go find them. Those things are real in America in 2020. Our black community is hurting over those things in 2020. Romans 12.15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And there's certainly a community weeping right now. It might be time to weep with them over the real pain that's being experienced, to hear them and to just join in weeping over trying to add more to the conversation. We can offer Jesus Christ. I don't have a lot to offer. I can listen and I can offer Jesus Christ. I don't have wisdom. We don't have wisdom to go solve the problem to fix it all but my Savior does he has forgiveness and love and compassion in these times he offers salvation to the broken to the hurting to the oppressed and finally we can pray let's be alert and be praying church 1 Timothy 2.1 says to pray for all people on all occasions. And this is certainly one where people need that prayer. There's people hurting from the oppression that need prayer. There's families of police officers that need prayer. There's a country that needs prayer. There's a church that needs prayer. Let's be alert. And we can have hope through this season as we set our hope on Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the only thing we have hope in. Ultimately, he's going to fix it. He can fix it. I don't have any hope in man to fix this situation. Only hope in God. 1 Peter 1. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you, When Jesus Christ is revealed, it is coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. So we need to be fully alert and sober of what's going on. Alert to the schemes of the devil. Sober to the realities of sin and brokenness in our world that's affecting people. We see what's going on in the world. But where do we hope in the midst of that?
in Jesus Christ. There's not a political leader. There's not an activist leader that's going to come fix this. It's Jesus Christ. And there's a few specific things. There's more I could share, but there's a few specific things I want to share this morning. I think bring us hope in this time of things we can look to. One is that Jesus says every people group will be worshiping together in heaven. I think this picture is so beautiful. The hope we have in Jesus Christ. It's not just are we forgiven or not, but there's a hope in heaven and what we'll experience there in the new heaven. Revelation 7 verse 9, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribe and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to our Lamb. I don't know what race looks like in heaven. I'll be real honest. Scripture says we'll be free of these bodies which are a limitation and entangle us. And we'll somehow have a new flesh and a new... We'll be done with this. So I don't exactly know what does skin color look like in heaven. But I do know this. It says there will be a great multitude worshiping together. We did house church last week. And it was real good to get five families in a room worshiping God together. Have our voices joined together before God. That was good. And I read this verse this week and think, boy, to be in heaven and have a great multitude farther than we can see, worshiping God. can look forward to that, that great multitude. And it says every nation and all the tribes and all the peoples and all the tongues will somehow be worshiping God together. In heaven, it won't matter anymore. We'll be free of our flesh We'll be free of the things inside of us that are broken, that bring hurt. And we can worship God together. I think another thing that brings hope in the midst of this is that God will judge the world. Revelation 14, verse 6 through 8 says, And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. There is an hour of God's judgment coming. It's funny to hope in God's judgment. Usually we're afraid of God's judgment. But there's a hope that God will judge and make right every injustice. The ones that are small, the ones that are deep, the ones that span whole nations, the ones that span 400 years. There's racial injustices in the Middle East that have spanned thousands of years that are deep. There's ones in America that have spanned hundreds that are deep. And there's injustices and there's hurts and there's crimes that haven't been solved and people that weren't caught and people that went free. For every police officer that was caught on camera and fired from his job and facing legal problems, there's probably others that don't. There's people in authority that have abused it. Not picking on the police. I love the police, but there's pastors that have 
abused that. There's teachers that have abused that. And God will bring those things to judgment and make them right. And we can hope in that, that we don't have to go try to make it right, because God will take care of it. The hour of His judgment is coming. We can hope that Jesus came to bring us life in the middle of this. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Yes, we have an enemy that's looking to destroy. He's dividing our country. But Jesus came to bring life. He came to put sap in the tree. He came to fix it. He came to build his church. He came to bring home his bride, that they would be singing together as a multitude in heaven. He came shattering religious and financial and cultural and racial barriers to offer the forgiveness of sin to all. And we can hope in that. And the last thing I want to talk about today is just our response in the church and how we need to stick together. There's a lot going on that's facing us. There's things threatening to divide us, even as this little church here in Denver, Colorado. There's things that are really threatening us. It's threatening every church. It's threatening the big C church. The racial issues that we've been talking about are threatening to divide the church and put a line like that yellow line on the screen in the middle and divide it. The response to COVID. Do you stay home all the time or do you go to the grocery? Do you social distance from your friends or do you hang out with them? Do you join church via Zoom or do you go to the house church meeting in two weeks? Those things threaten to divide us because we can be on two sides of that. Financial challenges. I know from going through financial challenges in my own life, at times it's easy to look across the street and be divided, to be jealous, to look across at someone having challenges, someone that's not having challenges when you are, and want to separate yourself and divide. And I've been at the other side of that at times in my life, and it's easy to judge. It's easy to think they're having financial problems because of something they did. Maybe we judge them instead of having compassion and helping. And that can divide us, whatever side of that we're on. I think the immunization and schooling activity that's gone on this week, there was a bill that hit our school government this week about having to um, give your kids immunizations to go into school and even facing some of the homeschool communities that are stronger in our church that people are very passionate about. I know good Christians that are on both sides of that. I know some that were down marching on Capitol Hill in the last week, and I know some that would be for that bill on both sides, and they can be good Christians. And when I look at these things, there's a commonality. They each have a line in the sand that the world is pressuring us to pick a side, to make a stand, go all in on that side or go all in on that side. Be opposed to the people who aren't with you. 
And as we each run down that list and make a choice of where we cast our lot, we have a world that's telling us to be divided from the other side. And we have a world that's being divided, maybe now more than ever. And the world's telling us is that if someone disagrees on that issue, fight for it. Make sure you stand up for it. Make it the most important issue. I'm not saying they're not very real or important issues, but the world's being divided. And if we make any one of those the central thing that we're going to stand on, that we're going to make of utmost importance, we will be divided. We will be torn and separated. As a church, we need to fight to have unity together in this time. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And when this was spoken, there was a lot of issues in the early church. There was multiple races coming together. There was religions that people were part of before. There was Jews. There was the Gentiles. There was the Romans. There was people that thought they should still get circumcised. There was people that thought they shouldn't. There was people that wanted to sacrifice, that wanted to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols and didn't care about like we talked about a few times. There was people stumbled by that. And they had all these things going on. There's probably people that thought about men and women differently, about how things should go on in the church. All this stuff was going on. In their encouragement, Paul said, strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. I think God's encouragement would be the same for us today. We need to unite around the central point of the gospel during this time. The gospel is central to our faith because he overcame death and he offers salvation to us when we believe in him. The gospel is central to our relationship. We are a family because he died for each one of us. I don't think I'd know any of you on this Zoom call today outside of the gospel drawing us together in a family of Jesus Christ. This is our family. And if we start dividing over those issues, the church will be destroyed. We'll separate ourselves from God's family. We'll all be separated. And we'll start to see that division weaken the church. And this verse was written by Paul at a time where there were differences and there were challenges. If we think there weren't challenges 2,000 years ago, we're ignorant because they faced very real challenges and very real race things. Not downplaying anything going on today, but they faced that and the scripture spoke into that at that time. And so that's a sound message for us today as it was then. Think of this next verse, 1 Corinthians 10. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. 
called the church to the mat. Hey, I've heard there's quarreling and there's divisions in the church. That shouldn't be. They faced things and Paul spoke right into it. God spoke right into that church in Corinth and said, there should be no divisions among you. You need to be united together in the same mind, in heart. He goes on later in that chapter to speak of, I understand the gospel is foolishness to the whole world outside of this church. It's foolishness to those that are apart from him. But he also says that God would do away with all human wisdom. And that the gospel is what will remain. Church, we need to fight for what's important at this time. We have an enemy that would love for us to be divided on any one of those topics, let alone all of them, with little splinters all over the church. But we need to fight to believe the best about our brothers and sisters in Christ. In this church, outside of these walls, or these Zoom walls, we need to fight to love people who have different views on these issues. You may be really passionate about one. It's okay. But I know people on both sides of those issues that love God. That God calls me to love. God calls us to love. God calls us to be in community and love together. And God calls us to come together as a church as we face all of the turmoil going on in the world and strive together side by side for the faith of the gospel, to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's pray. God, I do thank you for today. God, we look forward to a day when we can be in heaven and there's unity. There's not topics we have to decide on. There's not things splintering your people. God, that we can stand together with a great multitude worshiping the Lamb. That's the hope of heaven. I look forward to that. God, we pray here in 2020 in Denver. God, help us have a heart of compassion and love. Help us strive together as a church for the faith of the gospel. I pray you would protect your bride in the midst of these times, that we would be united, that we would love you, we would love truth, we'd seek to understand one another. We just pray for your supernatural protection, that the church would not be divided, that you would help us navigate this season ahead. We worship you today, thankful for the victory on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.